on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. When you experience certain powerful psychedelic experiences and all of a sudden you can see, oh, that's what life is like if I live from my heart. Like that's what it could be like. So to me, it just offers a different perspective that is actually very real in so many ways. You know, even today I was talking to someone, I was like, well, don't you know that the truth is all the power is in the heart? You know, like that's actually our greatest power. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remain together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So without further ado, I am so excited to introduce our guest on the show today, Beth Weinstein. So Beth is a spiritual business coach, helping current and aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, spiritual leaders, and healers align with their purpose and grow their business so that they can help more people create consistent income and have an online business that they love working from anywhere on earth. So using her experience growing multiple businesses, including three of her own, along with neuroscience-backed methodologies, spiritual teachings, and practical business action plans, Beth offers a multidimensional approach to help you move past limiting beliefs, overcome obstacles, and grow your business in a successful, impactful way. She guides you in a step-by-step process to grow your business using a balanced, co-creative approach, combining practical business coaching and heart-centered marketing strategies together with spiritually-based mindset training and manifesting work. Beth is the founder of the Psychedelic Sacred Medicines and Purpose and Business Annual Summit, the producer of the annual True Path Entrepreneur Series, and was co-creator of the Music is Medicine Festival and Urban Ceremony, a mind-body-spirit weekend together with musician East Forest. Beth has spoken on multiple stages, podcasts, and summits, and has been featured in the New York Post, the Huffington Post, Shape Magazine, and more. So we're going to include Beth's um, information, websites, all in our show notes so that you guys can follow along. And I also just want to say that Beth and I, you know, we met, I don't know, was it like four or five years ago at this beautiful uh, women's gathering called Goddess Gathering. And uh, yeah, and I'm so honored to have you on the show today, Beth. Mm, So good to be here, Tiffany. So good. Awesome. So we're going to just start right away with, um, you know, kind of the heart and soul of what really drives your kind of being in this world. And I want to set us up with this quote that was taken, I think, from your website, and I love it. So I'm going to read it first just to set the stage. So you say somewhere, spiritual activism comes through many forms, one of which is through the work you choose to do in the one and only gift of life that you've been given. I believe that in order to be a spiritual change maker, helping people with your services and creating the transformation and new paradigms you want to see on earth, you must be empowered. So I love this description and this pairing of spirituality and activism, which, you know, we've had a guest on on the show who talked about this, but you come at it from this business perspective and from all these lived experiences, which we're going to unpack today. But I want to first ask you, why is it not enough to just be spiritual? And what does it actually mean to bring activism into your spiritual practice? Mm. Yeah, no, great question. So, you know, here's the thing. I am trying my very best to, you know, 
observe my own judgment. So I, I will try not to say that, you know, everybody must be an activist or it's, you know, not okay to just be spiritual. But, you know, my belief is people who are on this path of awakening and, you know, born here today and for a reason and stepping into a place of service and transformation and, you know, people who want to see the greater shifts on the planet, it takes more than just sitting in your corner and meditating or, you know, holding on to your crystals. And, you know, that's, that's totally not meant to offend anybody who's into crystals or meditation. I'm into both, but Really, what I see is, you know, it takes the action. You know, like, yes, meditating is wonderful. Prayer works. Like, I believe in it all. But I also believe in, you know, this act of co-creation, which takes action. You know, you, you need to have both the feminine qualities of intention and, you know, your heart. But then it's the action that, I'll, that really creates the change. So that's why, I don't know where I got this. It was, you know, a few years ago where I was like, well, it's actually like activism, but it's activism from a different place, right? It's from a place of what I see as activism with compassion and love and, you know, nonviolence. And of course, it doesn't mean not fighting. Of course, it means fighting for what you believe in and really standing in your own truth. But the changes that we want to see on the planet are going to come from people who are empowered. And I do think that is connected to, and I think it's just because of a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs I've been around my whole life. It, it is connected to money. You know, it is connected to uh, authority and being an expert and being a leader really. And, you know, until money doesn't exist anymore, it's the reality that we live in. So I see you know, on my website, I know I, I, there's somewhere where I said, um, being an activist means being supported with your, you know, in all areas, meaning if you're struggling to get by and you barely make ends meet and you're in that feast and famine with your business, then of course, you're not going to be able to go out and fight or donate money towards causes you believe in, or, you know, really show up for yourself in your highest and best. I do believe that the leaders of today, you know, especially these kind of leaders, like leaders with consciousness, which thank God there's more and more every day, but they need to be held and supported and, and, and cared for. And that will take, you know, multiple levels of support. So it's all, it's all interconnected. I, I say this to my clients, you can't show up and serve your clients if you can barely show up for yourself. So really being spiritual is great, but being spiritual and putting it into action to me is creating the new earth. And I know there's a lot of people out there who I see as big leaders who would agree with this, that, you know, if we don't stand up for the world that we want to see or fight for, you know, creating change or put our money and our power behind something, then we're not really going to see the changes we want to see. So, that's why I think it's really necessary for a lot of, especially spiritual people that tend to, um, <laughs> this is what gets me the most is where people are just kind of like, you know, they become um, caught up with all the negatives. Like they just, you know, let's say complain or, oh, I, or, or spiritually bypass. Like, oh, I just can't, 
I can't watch anything or listen to any news for the next 10 years because it gets me too upset. Well, if you're upset, you could channel that energy into action, you know, or you can stay upset on your couch and boohoo. And what good is that going to do for the, the world and for yourself, really? So that's kind of what I think for, you know, the people who are the, the conscious leaders of today and in the future, it's, it's going to take, you know, doing. <laughs> it's just the nature of reality. It, it always takes some kind of doing to create. You know, that's what co-creation is. Yeah, that's amazing. And the last piece about what you said is so, so important to just recognize the um, role that anger can play or whatever negative emotion can play if we choose to reframe and transform it into action and into movement. And um, I love the lens that you bring to activism because, I mean, it's a very practical way to see it. And I think that integration of activism with spirituality is you know, there's so much to build from there. And just like also to kind of understand culture as you see it, you know, you were talking about leaders of today. And do you feel like in all of your experiences being an entrepreneur and just being in connection with business people, do you feel like people are at the moment as empowered as they can be to create the change they want to see? Like, where do you think culturally our leaders and entrepreneurs are at today with their spiritual activism? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a mix. You know, it's an interest. This is a great question because I, you know, for example, I just hosted this big summit. I interviewed a lot of really amazing change makers. You know, they all seemed very empowered. Um, when I see a lot of people who I know have more potential and then I've seen a lot of people get caught up in, um, my God, I could go on forever. Like, you know, fears of what will people think, or I don't want to share my truth because of judgment, or I have these three things I want to say, but I refuse to talk about these other three things. Um, I mean, we saw this happen a lot with, you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, anti-racism, which is understandable because it's so new to a lot of people is like, okay, well, how do I show up? What do I say? What do I get? You know, am I going to get it wrong? Oh, and then what? Uh, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, people who then just get frozen. Um, you know, my thing is about coming back to this place of being really centered in yourself and being, um, sovereign, but not from, not sovereign from a place of separation, but sovereign from a place of knowing that your voice matters. And I do believe everybody's voice matters, period. Like I don't, I honestly, and I'm very anti-censorship. I don't care what people are talking about. I don't care if people dislike it. I do believe that that's, it's the journey of being a human. Everybody has a truth to share. It doesn't mean that we're all going, going to agree. But I do feel that there's there could be more potential. Um, I do see this shifting a lot, especially with it's it's inevitable with the way information flows these days. I mean, there's just so many platforms. Um, you know, everything is getting more and more transparent. People also feel energy and can call BS on people that are BSy, right? Like. We all know there's leaders that you just know are totally authentic in what they say. And then there's some leaders that are kind of sketch. And I think more and more people pick up on that. 
you know, just cause it's over time, you know, people feel it like, Oh, there's something weird about that person or, Oh, they're only sharing part of the story. It's kind of this whole, um, you know, seeing the people on Instagram where their entire profile is only, you know, perfect pictures and perfect life and perfect this. And I'm like, dude, let's get real. You know, there's also, there's also chaos in everybody's life. Like pretty much everybody's like, even, you know, it's like my life is great, but of course there's always a challenge. It's life. So I just feel like the more people step into their authenticity and vulnerability, the more that actually is true leadership. And I think this is what affects the culture. And thank God, I I feel like we're seeing this more and more where influencers and leaders are coming out and sharing the honest truth. And and thankfully, um, and, and, you know, of course, like the, the masculine, there's a lot of people doing work with men around like, you know, being able to share your emotions and it's okay not being perfect. And, you know, all this, because there's a lot of like faux realities out there, but everybody knows it's a faux reality. So it's, it's like, who was it? Brene Brown, who I think it's her who said, you know, it's, um, vulnerability is the new black. It's like, this is what will change the entire culture, which I think leads to, I mean, my belief is this actually is the basis for change. You know, it's like, if we want to change systems that are broken or, um, you know, empower certain people that have not been empowered for hundreds of years or whatever it is, or, you know, whatever, an approach to business, I could go on and on. It's going to take vulnerable conversations and, honesty and transparency, you know, and I think the more and more people like, I mean, honestly, I bring a lot of this back to those 10 principles of burning man, radical, radical self. Yeah. Radical self, um, self-expression, radical transparency. I don't even know if that is one. I might be making that up, but I, you know, just this, this idea of, um, and, and shared resources. And I mean, there's, I could go on and on, but I think the more, people really um, drop into their hearts and, and be vulnerable and authentic, the more this leads to a new culture, which, you know, I believe the changes that we're going to see on the planet are going to take a lot of like deep level work, you know, whether you're spiritual or not. I mean, we've all seen even the last year, it's been very activating for a lot of people. Like, I mean, U.S. election, COVID, crazy, you know, I could go on and on. And how are we going to get through that? It's going to take conversations in a different way than we've ever had before. Like even this, you know, like even listening to a podcast, it's like, oh, okay. It's not just exposing the perfection of, of someone's life laying on a beach with a laptop. It's like, you know, there's ups and downs and how are we going to discuss it with, with compassion, you know, and come in with a lot of love and compassion behind it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what came to mind is like, you know, I've heard a lot of people in the transformational space say this and it's nothing new, but it's worth reiterating that um, as a 
as a person in service and activism, really, you can only take people as far as you have personally gone yourself. And I want to shift into a little bit of, of your personal journey because, I mean, it's been amazing to sort of watch you evolve and to bring all the threads of your own inner diversity and complexity into the work that you're doing today. And on the show, we're big fans of kind of deconstructing this big leap moment. And you use the words like coming out, like spiritual coming out, that takes a person from one paradigm to another. And, you know, at one point, I think we said this in your bio, you know, you worked in corporate and then you left to start three of your own businesses, scaled five startups, launched two startup brands, and then a bunch of other product lines within existing businesses. And then at a certain point, you became a coach um, and founder of this movement, I really see it as. So for me, like, and where I stand, you know, you really are this life design queen. Um, and I would love to hear, you know, um, how, like, what helped you anchor yourself during these moments of transition and evolution, you know, we're talking a lot about vulnerability and authenticity and, you know, being real. And so I'd love to shift it into your journey. And like, how did you tap into those wellsprings of, of anchoring and deep grounding so that you could fully step into your power? Mm, yeah. Whoa. What a journey that's been. Um, <laughs> You know, I come from the very, I, I always say this, I come from a very typical American family, which is you go to college, you get a job, you stay there as long as possible, you retire, you die. And that's what I was taught. And I remember even as a very young kid watching my dad, my dad had the exact job, or I, I assume it was exact, but same company, you know, pretty much his entire life. Um, he started an, a little like side business at one point. And I remember thinking like, and he complained about some things with the job. And I just, I know there was a part of him that wanted more and just felt like he wasn't able to, because he also came from that kind of generation of like surviving versus thriving. Um, you know, I knew when I was a kid that I was meant to be an entrepreneur. I just felt it in my body. I used to say it, I used to play a game when I was a little kid with my best friend that, that we had businesses and we used to call it city. Like we lived in cities and we're like women that traveled all over the world and blah, blah, blah. Um, but fast forward, I went to college and, you know, just had to survive and got a corporate job and knew from the very beginning that I was destined for more. And, you know, I didn't hate my corporate job, but, um, and, and I'm thankful for it now, of course, but, I knew it wasn't really the only way. I had met more and more entrepreneurs during my lifetime. You know, my brother went from college to six months working in advertising, quit, and never went back to a job again in his life. And I was like, well, why, why is it that my own brother has been an entrepreneur the whole time and I can't? Um, so it was, but of course, I was stuck in so much fear. You know, I lived in New York City had to pay the rent, blah, 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 all the same stories. But I started getting an idea of a business that I wanted to launch. And this was, it was actually my second business. My first one was kind of someone else's idea. But essentially, the universe started to do it for me. I always say this, look, if you don't start to make the transitions on your own, the universe will just do it for you. 
So I had a series of weird events that I now call initiations. Like my father passed away kind of, you know, pretty prematurely, kind of unexpectedly, and it all happened very quick. Um, so that kind of rocked my world a lot. It made me question what is life all about, you know, especially because he was only retired maybe, I don't know, like eight or nine years, you know, maybe 10. And I'm like, dude, he spent all that time working at one job to retire and then die, you know, like literally. And so I remember questioning a lot about like, oh, is this what life is all about is to work a job that you don't really like to then just pay the bills to then die, you know? And I, I was always on a pretty deep spiritual path and I really started questioning like the, the, the purpose of life. Like what, what is this all about? You know, what is like, what's this whole work thing all about? Um, and I kept having these feelings inside of me of like, I want to do this one thing. I want to do this one thing. And I kept thinking about this one business for, I mean, it went on for years. And then of course I lost the corporate jobs kind of started to go under my whole industry changed, you know, very quickly. And I, I saw it coming, you know, I was like, well, why are they paying me if they could outsource this overseas much cheaper? And of course that's exactly what happened. And so I switched to work at early stage startups, which was much, much better. But then it was kind of the same. It was like same, same, but different, you know, <laughs> like, um, and I remember I had this opportunity to help pretty much launch a startup and run the whole thing, but it wasn't my own. And it was also something that I wasn't really that interested in. And that was the, the final straw where I was like, well, wait a second, why am I working my butt off to launch someone else's startup when I actually am not even passionate about it and I could actually just launch my own? So I had this one moment that made a mindset shift, which is actually something I tell people all the time. I decided to start what's now my second business as a project. I just called it a project. I didn't call it a business. I was like, well, if I don't do this, I'm going to kick myself in the butt. You know, I'm going to regret it my whole life. So I need to at least try it just to say that I did it because it was like eating my soul alive. It was going on for years and years and years. And it was my former running apparel business. And so I worked on it on the side when I was still consulting and working for these startups. And, um, you know, I just brought it to life without any expectations. And, it, you know, it took off for a while. It did okay. It wasn't like mind-blowing, but it was the best experience of my entire life. And through that, the, the, the amount of growth that I had and you know, experience of, um, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, you know, I, it started to hit me really hard that life, you know, it's not always going to be easy, but life is about, you know, having something beyond you and having something that really fulfills you. And I remember saying, I actually said this to my Buddhist teacher at the time. I said, I have never been so scared and stressed out in my entire life while I'm so happy in my entire life. I've never experienced that before because it was this, these two extremes of, I am so fulfilled. I'm so happy. I'm so inspired. Like I was, I loved working, you know, like because it was my passion. But then again, I was also scared shitless, you know, I was like, so, um, but I think it was just, you know, that having that drive and also doing a lot of really deep level, um, 
you know, mindset work around like, well, what if I try to see this differently? Because you never know unless you try something. So everything is a risk, really. Like if you think about everyday life, especially now with COVID, it's been really interesting. I've, I've actually said this to a lot of people. I was like, look, now we're seeing that nothing, nothing's secure anymore. Like, you know, certain jobs that we thought were secure are now not secure. Like in the US, there's a lot of people like pulling their kids out of school and teachers that might not even have jobs in the future. Oh, well, that used to be a secure job. And so to me, you know, in Vipassana, this, this idea of Anisha Anada, like nothing is permanent, nothing is guaranteed, nothing is secure. So what happens if you approach life this way? And that's exactly what I did. It was like a literal moment to moment practice of, you know, what would happen if, and getting curious, like that to me is one of the best things any human on this planet could do is just be curious, stay curious. So that's, um, that's kind of the, the short story of it. <laughs> that's beautiful. I love that you ended on the note of curiosity and that you touched a little bit about Vipassana because again, like you, and I remember meeting you at Goddess Gathering and I was like, wow, Beth is like such an amazing alchemy of like grounded, you know, woman who has aspiration, but also has such an open mind to these alternative ways of transforming oneself. And you've been so public about, you know, this journey that has included so many modalities and experiences, you know, ranging from Burning Man to Vipassana, which you just mentioned, a silent retreat, um, to plant medicine, which I want to get into, and how these sort of transformational and visionary experience helped you really like dig at and really live from that truth, not just in life, but also in business. And I just want to bring a little a little flavor of Michael Pollan into the mix, because for those of you who don't know, he's um, a best-selling author of many books, but his latest one, How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence, very long title, um, he said in a conference a couple of years back, about his experience with psychedelics. And he said, they put flesh on ideas. And these were already ideas that I had. And for those of you who don't really know his work, check him out because he's an amazing bridge builder, much like you, Beth. Um, and from that sort of, you know, foundation of psychedelics and transformation, can you dial in and maybe share sort of your most powerful transformational experience that really helped you take your current business to the next level um, and essentially kind of come out of the closet of like, hey, guys, this is really who I am and why I'm here and 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 why I want to serve and help you. And and yeah, maybe maybe take us into that narrative as as you can. Yeah, so um, so I had, I had actually started working with psychedelics when I was pretty young, like teenager young, and now I'm in my early 40s. Um, and so I had already been on this path, but never really worked with them intentionally um, until later on in life. Probably, it was actually when I was in the middle of launching up my second business. So it kind of coincided with this really deep journey I was on with that business and getting really deep into the, the very powerful psychedelics. Um, 
And essentially, gosh, I can't even, I'm not even sure I can pinpoint one experience. I can kind of pinpoint, you know, a few that are all kind of similar, but essentially what happened is kind of exactly what Michael Pollan said. I, you know, I had been on a, a Buddhist path and been meditating and, you know, on this other spiritual path since, you know, since very young and studied psychology in college and was always kind of a seeker. And there was just this one point where, you know, I can give one example, like one particular working with ayahuasca in a ceremony, one particular instance, I just was able to see things that the human mind has a really hard time grasping, like certain concepts that, you know, like, okay, the Buddhist texts have been talking about this for, you know, thousands of years, right? Like these things are not new or they're ancient actually, but all of a sudden you can understand it. Like, oh, that's what it is. Or, oh, I get it. And it's exactly what Pollen says is most of what comes through with these powerful experiences or, or all of it really, except things that are just, you know, complete illusion, they're already inside of us. You know, it's like, this is already, we technically don't even need psychedelics to access it but it's in us. It's, it's, we're just not tapped in, or maybe we choose subconsciously not to see it, or maybe, um, usually it's our ego-based fear-based mind that gets in the way, right? Like, like I was not able to see that you could actually live from your heart and make money doing what you love because my fear was the dominant thought. So when you experience certain powerful psychedelic experiences and all of a sudden you can see, oh, that's like, for example, that's what life is like if I lived from my heart, like that's what it could be like. So to me, it just offers a different perspective that is actually very real in so many ways. You know, even today I was talking to someone, I was like, well, don't you know that the truth is that it's all the power is in the heart. You know, like that's actually our greatest power and it's very simple. You know, it's, it's, it, it, this all comes back to like ancient Buddhism and you know, whatever, it doesn't have to be Buddhism, but you know, the ancients knew every, every answer to life is actually very simple. So, um, these powerful experiences, they just, they kind of remind you of things that you might not remember or things that you maybe remembered for an instance, but completely forgot. Um, or, you know, tap you into these parts of yourself that are, it, it, they're already existing, but there's, you know, life's day-to-day -day craziness or stress or whatever it is, they, they get in the way. So, I mean, my one, I always say my two most powerful experiences, and I keep meaning to write an article about this one of these days, um, I can't, I, I've never been able to decide if it's Vipassana or drinking ayahuasca in the jungle for, you know, almost two weeks because they were both so life-changing, but they're completely, it's like, they're so similar and so different. Um, there's also another article I want to write that compares ayahuasca in the jungle to Burning Man. Cause actually all three experiences were pretty profound in so many ways. Um, you know, they're, but they're all similar in the ways where the reason why they're so transformational is they actually take your daily monkey mind and kind of shove it aside for a week, you know, or, or 10 days or, 
And that's the key right there. I mean, this is, this is it. It's like, okay, what would happen if our monkey minds go away? I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, I forgot her name, but there's a woman who has a Ted talk. I think it was called my stroke of genius or my stroke of luck. Anyway, she, she's a neuroscientist who had a stroke and during her stroke, she had awareness that she was having a stroke because she's a neuroscientist. And she, it's amazing talk. And she wrote a whole book on it. She got to experience life without this one part of her mind. And all she experienced was love, joy, freedom, like ease. You know, it's like, wait a second, that is actually possible. It's in us. It's just, you know, this one little part of her brain had shut off because of the stroke. Um, it was, and it's like, that's really what this all is. And that's why psychedelics give people these experiences where they're like, Oh, that's what it could be. And then it, you know, the important part becomes, well, okay, now what do you do when you come back to the quote reality of day-to-day life? And that's, that's the real work, you know, that's where it gets, um, like not easy because, you know, you come back from, you can come back from ayahuasca for 10, 10 days in the middle of jungle. And all of a sudden you get an email that triggers you back into reality, you know, <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, it's so, it's so simple yet it can be so complex when, you know, our daily realities and our past conditioning kind of keeps us locked into this like addicted relationship to um, old programs and old patterns. And, um, you know, Rick Doblin, who we'll get into in a bit, said we're overdeveloped technologically and intellectually and underdeveloped emotionally and spiritually. And that's why we're struggling with the technologies we have, however you define that, and the weaponry we have. So we need to accelerate our emotional and spiritual development. And I I really, you know, like hearing you talk about Vipassana, Burning Man, and ayahuasca, I've had all three experiences as well. And it's and I, I can so relate and like my I feel like energy coursing through my body because it's like we all can relate. We've I mean, some of us have touched that feeling maybe more than others. But like you said, it's it's all within us. And we just need to like step out of our own way to just access what we already have as, you know, creations of nature, whether you want to call that spiritual or not. Um, and so. You know, you recently hosted this online summit. Congratulations, by the way. Mm, thank you. Called uh, Sacred Medicine's Purpose in Business and really integrating these visionary experiences into conscious entrepreneurship, where you brought together 34 experts, thought leaders, and authors in so many fields as diverse as psychedelics, sacred plant medicines, conscious entrepreneurship, spirituality, personal development, visionary art, and, and so much more. And, um, you know, you you had the privilege of interviewing Rick Doblin, who I just quoted before, of MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Sciences, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, in that conversation, because you bring that you bring that lived experience of integration, but also that, you know, work of of business and leadership. So tell us what you learned from, you know, that conversation with Rick and and how that 
maybe even shifted your worldview um, and all the things that you already knew, but having that conversation with him, what did you, what did you learn from that? Mm. Yeah, I was actually just quoting him yesterday on a, a workshop that I did because God, he, first of all, he's a cool guy. He's just really funny, but you know, I've interviewed, I've interviewed him two years in a row and he's just, and I've seen him talk. I've been to a maps benefit in New York and, um, you know, the vision that he has and that, that maps has for the world is just big. You know, it's, there's, there's, there's so much research that's come out basically showing that this can cure people of like a lot of the world's struggles, you know, PTSD, trauma, depression, anxiety. And that's pretty much what most people seem to be suffering from these days. Um, you know, the one big thing I learned is that, you know, it's, it's people who are on this path need to come out. I mean, he actually sees this, the whole growth in psychedelics and the whole movement. And now there's tons of decriminalization happening. I mean, he basically equates this to the, um, the LGBTQ movement of the 1970s. And, you know, this again comes back to societal change. Like, how are we going to, um, you know, like let go of the stigma and come out of the closet and not fear losing our jobs or scaring our families or pissing people off or, you know, having our neighbors think we're crazy or whatever it is. I mean, I trust me, I I went through it. I was like, I live in a small community. They're going to come knocking on my door. You know, I, I really thought, oh my God, if I do this, like I'm going to have, you know, a SWAT team hanging out outside my door. And of course, no, that's totally not the case. You know, if anything, what's happening is more people, when they hear that, you know, that I talk about it or whatever, that the laws are changing, they all of a sudden start coming out with their stories because the stories are what creates the change. So he kept saying this in the interviews that I did. He kept saying it's actually more and more important that people share how these medicines have helped them. You know, I've shared my low points and my high points and I mean, my God, and, and you know me, like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. You haven't seen me at my absolute worst, but, you know, I was an anxious mess. I was your very typical, like, ungrounded New Yorker. You know, I'm, I'm still very, like, high energy, but there's a way to be high energy while being grounded. But I was just living in fear and anxiety, like, day in and day out, and my nervous system was fried. And that is not a healthy way of living. It's also, you know, it's not good for um, the others around you. It doesn't really serve you or the world. So, you know, it's, and again, it comes back to this old paradigm of the belief that we all must work our butts off to the point of exhaustion in order to survive in today's world. And none of that is actually true. So, this is where it becomes really important to share, you know, how is it that these medicines have helped you? You know, what is your vision? Like what, where were you before and after? And it's amazing that, um, you know, during throughout both these summits I did, I mean, I can send you screenshots, like hundreds and hundreds of people were writing me directly or posting in my Facebook group, sharing their personal stories. I mean, it's, I have a client right now who's, um, uh, I forgot a T, I forgot what the official term is, T4 paraplegic. And the only thing that's helped him 
was the use of psilocybin because I mean, my God, he, he lost his legs. I know he lost his legs at a really, you know, in his like thirties and in a motorcycle accident with a drunk driver. I mean, and it's just, yeah, like imagine your life changing like that. And, you know, antidepressants aren't really the answer. And people have had these life changing results with, you know, it doesn't even have to be this huge experience. It could just be psilocybin, call it a day, whatever. But, um, and more and more people are, are really turning to the power of this. So speaking with him and Paul Stamets, he was another one who's like the world's leading mycologist. I mean, my God, he almost, I actually started crying during, I'm like, I'm like getting teary just thinking about it. He made me cry because he started speaking about end of life anxiety and he is on a mission to basically legalize psilocybin because, you know, imagine if you're given a cancer diagnosis prematurely, like for example, my father, um, you know, my father was just taking all the pharmaceutical drugs to the point where he wasn't even aware, you know, he was just totally out of it. And psilocybin has been proven now to help end of life anxiety and ease the transition for people who are, you know, given terminal illnesses. So I think this is actually, and I have a client who's in the death, death doula realm. And again, this comes back to like, how are we going to change the way society approaches all of these things? Like, especially look at COVID, it's brought up a lot of questions about life and death. And, and so this, this has been some of the, the main points of, you know, speaking with, Rick Doblin and Paul Stamets and, you know, even David Bronner and some of these really big leaders about, you know, why they're, they're putting, I mean, David Bronner is putting multi-millions of dollars behind psychedelics. And there's a reason why it's like even his own journey, his own trauma and his, um, you know, like family history of grandfather, you know, in the, on the Holocaust. I mean, all of this stuff can go very, very deep. So, um, you know, these are all visionaries who just want to see a better planet. And they believe it's a human right to lead a happy, fulfilled life, even if you've been hit by a drunk driver, or even if you have a terminal illness, like, or even more so, right? Um, so that, that was like the main big takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I feel like this, I could just talk for hours just about the just absolutely like undescribable transformation that psychedelics has had on me personally. And I think I'm going to do like an episode where I just share my story because it is literally why I'm sitting here having this conversation with you and not sitting in some cubicle in New York City working for someone else, which was my whole pattern for my whole life. And ayahuasca, she just, you know, laid it down and she's like, hey, I'm here for truth and I'm here to just like connect you back to it. Simple as that. And um, exactly. <laughs> and I just, exactly. yeah, <laughs> I mean, you were saying like, you know, you could just cry thinking about it. And like, I, I could as well, just thinking about how profound that connection is and how, you know, my own fear of death dissipated um, in a really big way after doing ceremony at an amazing healing center in Costa Rica called Soltara. And, um, you know, at the same time, like you were saying and echoing Rick's words and Paul's words, like 
everyone has a story to tell. And the more that we can all have the courage to vulnerably and boldly step forth and share and like find the others, like you and I are having this conversation, the more that we can start to see bigger change and bigger waves in society, right? And, you know, I want to like keep the really positive vibes going and at the same time, just, you know, shine a light a little bit on, you know, those who haven't stepped on this path, but give them, you know, a little bit more context for the power of this. So, you know, bringing it back to your spiritual business coaching, um, which again, I think is so important and critical during these times, you know, you talk about in your toolkit, how you can start a psychedelics integration coaching business without having to, you know, get a certification or do trainings. And I'm I'm really curious about this, and you've been very vocal about this too. It seems like almost too good to be true, right? Like you think about someone who maybe has done plant medicine for the first time and they're like, oh my God, mind blown. Like I cannot be that same person that I was before I did this. And also including, you know, people like you and and people like me that have done it a couple times or maybe like, you know, in the tens or hundreds of times, um, you know, we we fundamentally have shifted. So I just want to like set up a thought experiment and just hear what you have to say. So let's say someone has done ayahuasca, right, and now has this heartfelt desire to support people. Um, Does that mean they can just start, you know, their own sort of coaching project or business? Or is there like a catch? Or like, can you talk to us about this certification process? And like, is it needed? Or is it not needed? And why? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, you know, and I, of course, there's people that would disagree. I am the believer. I, I mean, here's the thing. I do think if someone has really just done it once and now they want to call themselves an integration coach, okay, that's a little bit different. You know, they at least have to be very honest and straightforward about their path. So you can't go around saying, oh, I've drink ayahuasca 500 times if you've only drank it once. So you have to be honest and transparent. That's like the number one core foundational piece of how I run my business. And it's what I teach my clients because transparency actually sells, you know, on top of that. And it's honest and why not be honest, you know, because who wants, you know, BS people right now. Um, But here's the thing. Essentially, I'm trying to take this approach where I believe that who's to say what is good or bad for anybody. So there are people who drink ayahuasca in apartments in Brooklyn down the street from the garbage um, processing plant with, you know, noise everywhere and a club downstairs with banging music and there's no shaman and they put music on an iPod and that's the music for their ceremony. That happens all the time and it exists. And, you know, who's to say that's good or bad. If that works for people, Hey, it doesn't really work for me. And that's not what I'm into. But if that works for someone else, who am I to judge? So that's the approach I take with any of this. So it doesn't matter if it's a psychedelic integration coach or a life coach or any other kind of coach. It's the same thing with there's coaches out there teaching sacred sexuality, you know, which is 
pretty deep, interesting, and kind of in that same realm of being taboo. The reality is psychedelic integration is about the integration. It's, you know, I'm not saying for people to go hold the space and facilitate ceremonies. That is very different. That is something I personally believe that, I mean, I would only work with people who are experienced or I would just work by myself. But so it's, this is very different, but holding the space for someone who's coming out of, you know, a ceremony or out of a psychedelic experience, like, yeah, you know, essentially if you've had a journey and you know how to help people, like they just need to resonate with you because in the end, I believe that there there's someone for everybody, meaning um, I use this analogy of climbing a mountain. So someone might be, you know, there's this huge mountain and someone might be 3000 feet up on the mountain. And there's of course, you know, thousands of people up ahead of them at like 7,000 feet. And then there's thousands of people behind them down at 400 feet. So wherever you are in that middle, like whatever I said, a thousand feet, there's a group of people who are behind you where you were, you know, a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. It really doesn't matter. And if they feel called to work with you and they feel like you can help them, hey, that's, that's all that determines whether it's going to work for them or not. You know, because who are we to be the judge of which coach works well for you? You know, because psychedelic integration, I mean, essentially... It's, it's a very, there is no, first of all, there are no set rules about what integration really is. There's many different approaches one can take. There is no right or wrong. I do think it's important to take a very holistic approach because to me, the word integration means literally every single day of your entire life. It's not just the day after a ceremony. It's literally, how are you going to come back to every day of life. So essentially it's the same as a life coach, but maybe a life coach who understands the journey of psychedelics. Um, and then it's like, then the question arises, well, who's to say what a life coach is and what that's all about. I mean, I'm friends with probably, I don't know, 50 different life coaches and they all take completely different approaches. So again, it really comes back to if, if a couple, you know, a handful of humans resonate with your work, that's, that's, that's all that matters. And voila, you have a business, you know? So a certification, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I'm not knocking those programs. I'm actually friends with a bunch of people that run those programs. What I'm saying is, so those programs, if you actually look and research, they're just, they're run by people like me. You know, I could open a psychedelic integration coaching training program tomorrow if I really wanted to, because I've worked with psychedelics a lot. I've done a lot of deep level work with many forms of integration, you know, somatic work, health and wellness, mindfulness, meditation, chanting, you know, exercise. I mean, it's because it's integrative. It's everything. It's holistic. It's not just, okay, how was that experience for you? I mean, if that was it, anyone could essentially do it. You know, then it's like, well, the friend that you came and told about your ayahuasca experience, you know, the next day, that's how is that different than an integration coach? So that's where I question, you know, and it's not that I question it. I do believe, hey, it's great, go get a certificate. But the reality is, 
there's no rule that says you can only have a business if you go pay someone money for a certificate. Um, there's another story that was the, the one that just made me laugh the most was a friend of mine went and did like a life coaching program or just some kind of program with someone who's very, very famous, like book publisher famous, you know, like really well-known name. And it was just a program about, you know, like you and your life and whatever she taught. And then at the end of the program, she said, oh, and for $3,000 more, you can get a certificate. (laughs) Like you basically go through the program, you pay whatever it is, $10,000 for the program. And then if you want a certificate that says you finished the program, you can buy it for an extra three grand. But that's where, you know, if you look in this entire transformational industry of coaching and, and, you know, like some healers and things that are just kind of quote, like unregulated, you know, it's like you start to question like who's to say who the authority is. And honestly, you know, the, the example I gave during my most recent workshop is everyone knows a therapist or a doctor or a dentist or whatever it is who went to, you know, got all the credentials, went to all the med schools, this and that. And then they're just not good. Like I know people who've had botched surgeries and messed up, you know, replacements of ankles. And, you know, I mean, I could go on and on. Everybody knows that there's something and it's, it's fine. It doesn't, you know, and everybody's gone to a therapist that they didn't vibe with. And that therapist could have gone to 12 years of school, you know? So who's to say what's good or bad? Um, you know, I worked with someone who was kind of a, a, like, I didn't know what to even call her. I just called her my therapist. Cause I didn't know a better word. I never even asked what her training was. All I knew is she knew medicine. She knew way deeper spiritual practices than I ever knew. She knew all about somatics and the body and the importance of getting into your body. She worked with a mindfulness-based technique and it completely changed my life. She was amazing. I had no idea what she was ever trained in. To this day, I still don't know. Do you know what I mean? And, but it didn't matter because all I knew is she was helping me. I really liked her vibe. She got me results and she was pretty much better than, you know, any other quote, like, you know, doctor or therapist that I had been to in the past. So that's kind of what my whole point was about, you know, not everybody needs to go pay for a certification. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. And I do, I do think everyone who wants to help people transform the one key is to constantly be growing yourself. Like I, I personally would never work with a coach who's not investing into their own growth because that means they're not growing. So how am I going to grow if they're not growing? So I personally am always invested into at least like one or two transformational things. Usually it's even more than that, you know, like mindset training. I'm always doing business training. I'm always doing some kind of, um, deeper level, you know, healing my own stuff. (laughs) Because if I, you know, if I can't grow and evolve and call myself out on my own stuff, then, you know, how am I ever going to hold space for someone else's transformation? So that's kind of what I meant through all that. But now, I mean, I don't know if you go do one ceremony and you want to then go pour medicine, I would question that. But again, who am I to judge? You know? Like who is, who is any of us to, 
it's like, do you know this parable of the Chinese farmer, the the one about like the, the guy with the horse? But you can look it up. Alan Watts used it um, in a talk. I don't know what year it was, but it's kind of this like well-known parable. But really the 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 whole quote that keeps coming up is who's to say what's good or bad? Like this one thing we might think is quote bad is actually good for some other people or it's good for maybe it is actually good and who's to say what good is, right? These are all just judgments of the human mind. So, <laughs> Sure. It, call, it calls into question, like, you know, what is reality? What is truth? Um, you know, and the, the whole game of, like, assumptions. Like, I can't assume that something that works for me is going to work for you. And I think being able to admit I don't know everything and – you know, I can only be your guide, but like you, you know, everyone is here to take responsibility for the creation um, and the direction of their own life and happiness. And so, and I, I, everything you said, I'm just like, yes, you know, because like you have that compass um, and you can call in the coaches and the teachers, but ultimately it's about really developing trust within yourself. So if it means like being like, ah, I really resonate with this therapist, you know, I don't really feel like I need to understand every little, you know, detail of her credentials, but I just feel it. You know, that's like a new story emerging too, like feeling more into your truth right and i'm not negating the mind i think the mind is a beautiful tool but like integrating the mind with the body like how can we build more trust in the body you know going back to what rick doblin said we're so overdeveloped intellectually but we're so yeah, yeah. underdeveloped in our beautiful organ which is the heart which if you look at the heart math institute out in california oh yeah you know like they've measured the heart's electromagnetic frequency and that that frequency can be measured up to nine feet outside of the body and actually, in a very biological sense, sends more signals to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. So if you want to get real nerdy <laughs> about it, like the heart yes. is this like super power organism organ. And, you know, where is um, what is possible if we sit more and build that space out more so that we can be more of who we really are, right? Isn't yeah, that the whole game of life? That's exactly it. I mean, that's, and honestly, this is in the end, this is what grows your business. Like, this is what I tell my clients. I'm like, people, you know, especially people on a spiritual path who are awake in some form or another, or whatever that means, um, people feel it. And you know, you know, intuitively, you know, okay, this person can help me. And intuitively, you'll know, it's like every time I've done you know, I've been in a couple not so good negatives, you know, like I would call them negative, um, you know, plant medicine situations where my intuition told me something feels off here. And, you know, of course, back then I didn't listen and voila, it was off and I regretted going, you know, and it's that same thing with working with a coach or working with a healer. It's like, you know, who's good and you know, who's not good. You know, um, I mean, I work with, a few, I have a couple healers in my life where I don't even know how to explain what they, like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know what they've studied, but they give me results. Like there's a woman I work with in Hawaii who's like mystery, you know, she's nowhere on the internet. I don't even know what she looks like. And she's like totally changed my life. And 
all I know, like, she, I don't know what she's studied, but all I know is she's had a couple near-death experiences that completely changed her view. And she's on an extreme, like, she's just on this path. Like, I've not really met many humans on her path. So does it matter if she went to four years of some training that costs money? No. Like, you know, it, it's just her path. And she resonates, you know? So powerful. And that brings to mind, um, I don't know if you read the book Dying to Be Me by Anita Moriani. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, you know, it's I haven't a read it, but book. I know her amazing story. Yeah. Man. And when you read that book, you just think, I mean, once you cross the threshold and you see your life with expansion and you come back and then you understand why you came back, I mean, what further proof do you need about life and about how you want to live life and really help others connect to that that aliveness that is always there, but for whatever reason, we've allowed ourselves to dim that light and not be in our full power and capacity and potential. Um, and, uh, you know, man, it's just, uh, you know, I love that we can talk about this and I, I know that there are webs of communities and, and humans, healers and non-healers that, that are yearning for this, that are yearning to like apply what we're talking about into practice and myself included, cause I'm on a journey as well. And with the, with that in mind, like, you know, where we sit today, if we were to do a thought experiment and like project like five, 10 years from now, right? What story or what kind of emergence do you see in this either spiritual activism space or spiritual business space? Like, what do you see? Be our psychic, Beth. <laughs> mm, oh my God. That's a good one. I mean, you know, well, I don't want to, part of this will be projecting my own optimistic hopes for the world. So uh, I'll just make that very clear because I do tend to be an optimist. I do feel that, yes, there's a lot of stuff being shaken to the surface right now because that's the only way to heal, you know, the paradigms that are not working. We have to take a really good look at them and it's been so easy to ignore them for so long, but hey, now they're coming to surface for a reason. Like life is in our face like never before. And I don't think it's going to end. I think it's actually just going to come up even more. Um, but through that process, it's kind of, you know, it's the initiation process of anything that needs to be healed that has to be seen and it has to be loved and it has to be acknowledged. And you know, so through the kind of chaos and who knows what's going to happen, it's also going to be a beautiful transition into questioning how do we create the world we want to see? You know, how is it that if we have to come up with a new way of doing business or a new economy or a new way of um, supporting people, you know, healthcare or, you know, housing, whatever it is, there's going to have to be new ways. It's like right now in America, um, we're seeing this with the anti-racism movement. It's like, okay, well, how do I start to see my business different? Or how do I start to see everything I write differently? Because I, I think before many people didn't give it a lot of thought. I mean, for me, it's always been somewhat on my mind. Every time I ran a summit, you know, it came to mind like, okay, I don't want to make this thing all white, but 
um, now it's even more so on people's minds. Like, how do I communicate differently? So I think there's just going to be more and more of that kind of work coming up in every realm there is. Like, you know, in healthcare and wellness and well-being. I mean, we've seen all the shifts even just over the last few years or the last 10 years or whatever it's been into, you know, different forms of eating and organic food and diet. And it's all shifting towards the good for the whole. I mean, that's the idea that, I mean, again, this is my projected optimism, but I do, I feel like if we take a really good look at history and there's some studies out there that say actually like everything's always getting better, but you know, the direction that I feel that the world is going to move in or it has to move in or else we're going to go instinct really is to, to shift our ways of doing anything, including things like business and especially business has to be for the whole versus the individual. Um, this is actually, you know, the age of Aquarius. This is what it's all about. Moving from the Piscean age into Aquarius is going from individualism to wholeness, to more the group, which is, you know, how do I live for more than just me, 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 take, take, take. It's about, you know, and that's what we're seeing. Like, look at, you know, even look at the, what, last 10, 15 years, all these collaborative startups that have gone into the multi-millions, you know, Airbnb and um, ride-sharing companies. And, you know, there's a ton of these, you know, the clothing exchange companies. I mean, I could go on and on, but this is the movement towards, okay, how do we create a new way of doing pretty much everything that there is, you know, like there's more and more people building, um, collective housing and conscious communities and, um, trying to figure out a way to, you know, create community in a different, in a different way of working that serves everyone versus just like me, me, me. So I think this is gonna, you know, from what I see is this is going to be a a rocky, bumpy road in so many ways, but it's also going to be exciting and beautiful. And um, I don't know what else is going to happen, but I have to say this whole, the year of 2020 that everybody thinks is so crazy. I've been saying like, actually, I mean, yeah, of course I've had some issues where I'm like, I'm just, you know, like it's upsetting and I hate seeing people getting sick and the masks are getting annoying, but at the same time, it's very exciting because it's going to have to force us to look at things a little differently. I mean, that's what I see happening. And I think a lot of other people are seeing this as an opportunity, like, okay, well, shit has to hit the fan until people are willing to to try to do things differently. It's like being pushed to the ultimate edge you know, and even my partner keeps saying, he's like, well, I think humanity needs to be pushed to the edge of extinction extinction, in order to make change. And I'm like, dude, really? Like, that's pretty scary. <laughs> Do we really have to go that far? <laughs> but it's true. It's like, what does it take for people to say, oh, this isn't working or my job wasn't working? Like I had a, I actually had a handful of clients join my program right at the beginning of COVID, because they saw the sign, they were like, oh, if this isn't a sign, I don't know what it is. Because they just said like, okay, um, I know I know things are changing. I know people need my help and I'm not going to suffer at my whatever job they were at before. And, you know, I, I never tell people to quit, by the way. But, you know, they just decided like, 
oh, okay, I see it now. Like I'm going to step up into my purpose and be that activist. You meaning like, hey, if it means it's scary for me to do something new or start a business, fine. But I have a mission that is beyond me. And that's where there's more and more entrepreneurs stepping into this place of being driven by a larger vision for the world versus just like me make money, you know, cause it's not, I mean, and, and the thing is the more, at least from my experience and what I've seen with a lot of my clients, the more you live and work from that bigger vision, from a larger scale purpose that's, that's for beyond you, the more money I actually make, you know, it's like the irony is when it's not about you, 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 it actually ends up coming to you, 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 you. It's like this weird thing that we were not taught. And it happens all the time. You know, it's coming from this place of service versus, you know, pillaging, <laughs> if that makes sense. So that I just see, I see that changing. I mean, this is kind of, um, this is why there's a lot more companies with social missions now, or at least, you know, taking a stand in some way. And, you know, creating different, like, you know, going from corporate to tech startup, it was interesting to see like, oh, okay, well, here's one step in towards a progressive change is having completely different business models. And so I think it's just going to become, um, it's going to become pretty like mandatory. Like we have to do work like this or else things are not going to work for very long. Right. And man, I'm like, my neurons are just firing right now with so many like, yes, <laughs> like this is the story that's emerging. And the the quote, I forget who originally said it, but it's um, Anadea Judith, who's like the chakra and psychology woman. She, she writes in her book, um, Eastern Body, Western Mind, like, you cannot heal what you cannot feel. Like we have to feel like fully and we have to feel what we have all individually created out there, which is, you know, the story of the coming mass extinction and the story of climate change and the story of coming to terms with, you know, the racism systemically that has like completely perpetuated how we relate to each other um, in invisible ways. And, you know, echoing what you said earlier, you know, we have to build a collective that works for all people. And if you look at nature, you know, since we're talking about plant medicines and just like being in communion, you know, the most um, resilient uh, ecosystems that can withstand change are the ones that are most biodiverse. And if nature is teaching that to us and nature was here before us, then why can't that uh, biodiversity strengthen human systems and the way that we show up and relate to each other, not just personally, but also professionally? And um, why are professional and personal siloed? Like, aren't they one and the same? Like, I just don't get it. So, you know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Well, old paradigm, new paradigm, right? Old paradigm, new paradigm. And, um, you know, as we come to a close, just two more questions from me. Like, so let's say, you know, joining us right now in our conversation is like a, a closeted, like spiritual person who is a business person, but wants to merge the two together and is listening in, you know, what could be 
a practice or a step that this spiritually closeted person can take today or just like now in like the sort of near future to step into their true purpose path? Mm. Yeah, I love it. In the closet. Well, you know, I, here's what I said. I actually said this years ago. I said, look, guys, there's no need to be in the closet anymore because Vogue, Vogue magazine is writing about tarot cards. And I actually had, I had just like made that up on the spot. And then of course, later that day I went and looked it up and they had not only written about tarot, but they had written like multiple articles about tarot and crystals and astrology and so on. So there's really no need to be in the closet because it's time. It's like more and more people are quote out. But, you know, the one thing I always tell people is to take a lot of the, do a lot of the mindset shifts around, you know, what if, what if money didn't matter? Or what if this was just a project? And, or what if you were given, you know, $50 million and, the deal was you had to do something. What would you really be doing? What would you want to do? What would bring you the most joy? You know, if you could have anything you wanted and the deal is you have to get out of bed every morning and get to work on it, what would you do? And that's where people start to really come out with the truth. Like, and it usually comes back to, well, I've been wanting to do this one thing for many years. Like, that's my favorite. Because I went through that myself where I, I was... I was thinking about something for eight years. Like, well, it's been on my mind for eight years. Like eight years is a really long time to be downloaded these ideas and then not do anything about it. So a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, um, you know, I keep getting this idea or I can't stop thinking about it or I feel that I am here to do this or you know, it's like, it's it, because I believe it's in them. It's in their soul. It's, it's part of their deeper path. And when they start to have that awareness, that's where it becomes this question of like, well, okay, well, why am I not listening to that? Like what would happen if I tried it? You know, imagine being on your deathbed and having that regret saying, gee, I wish I had tried out that one project or I wish I had, um, given my book a try or, you know, at least put myself out there. So that's just the very first step is to just write it down or acknowledge it and bring awareness to it. Because from there, it's really about the little baby steps, really. It's like, and they don't, they're, they don't have to be complicated, you know, just start, I always say, start speaking it into truth. In one of my programs, or actually a few of my programs, the first thing I say is, hey, guys, just start owning it. Like, just declare it. Like, I am, you know, a life coach or whatever it is. You know, just own it. Just come out and say it. And what that does is it really shifts the energy. It's like, it's that I am presence of I am. And essentially, we can be, have, and do anything we want. We just have to put our minds and hearts and, you know, work towards it. So even those tiny little shifts really can change a lot. Um, and from there, you know, I always say, look, just go talk to some people who've done it before or follow people who, you know, you admire and just see like, what was their own journey? What was their path? And, because the reality is everyone starts somewhere. 
I, I always use this as an example because I just, I, you know, used to have this running clothing brand, but Nike started with one running shoe back in, I think it was 1972. You know, it was Phil Knight, like, oh, this one running shoe that to this day, like no one would ever run in. But he started this with just a vision and an idea and it became this huge movement. And then now it's a $34 billion company in, you know, with, with products in every area that you can imagine. So that's why it's like, well, you got to start somewhere with just one thing. So what's that one thing? And only you can know that answer. But really, if you don't give it a try, like then what? You know, are you going to be satisfied and happy with yourself and five years or 10 years? Or what happens if the universe does it for you? Like you lose your job or all of a sudden the the whole industry you're in is not secure anymore or, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, I could go on and on or a series of events. And all of a sudden now it's like, when are you going to be ready? So it's much better to take the steps before the universe just decides to do it for you. It's much easier because <laughs> the universe can be kind of like harsh sometimes, right? Like these initiations and they were not fun at the time, but they were the best thing ever that happened. But, you know, if you have an awareness that you're here to do something else, like, Hey, what are you waiting for? So that's, that's usually what I say to people. So much truth. Yes. and. um you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just like buzzing because I feel like what you're saying is so practical yet so deep, but having that balance of, hey, it's just like, this is like, I went through it and this is what I'm telling you, but with all that other depth of wisdom, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just so easy to relate to and to accept. And so coming to a close, Beth Weinstein, you've said, you've dropped so many wisdom bombs on us, but I'm just going to ask you if you can leave one message or a question that our audience can reflect on beyond this conversation and really sit with and metabolize, what would that be? <clears throat> Gosh, that's a good one. Question. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's probably something very simple. Like just ask yourself why, you know, just super simple, like, or what if get curious. So that would just be the one question, like, you know, to try it for 40 days as a, a, you know, a spiritual practice of every time your mind has a thought about something, you know, just negate it with the opposite thought. Well, what if? What if it's actually the other way? Or what if that's not true? Or, um, you know, someone triggers you. <laughs> this is a good one. It's like, okay, I'm triggered by something someone said. Well, what if the story I'm making up about it is completely different? You know, what if, what if, what if their dad just died an hour beforehand and you just don't know it? You know what I mean? Like, so really that, that practice of being curious to me is one of the healthiest, best things anybody could do. And, um, you know, it opens up your mind to a new way of seeing perspectives. And really the shift in perspective is where the miracles happen. It's like, that's the world that we create is created in our perspective. So why not try to play around with a different perspective and see what happens? So that would be like the one question. What if, why, why not? 
Yes, curiosity is my favorite medicine because the energy of curiosity and the energy of why is just being like, hey, I'm just here to like expand and evolve and like kind of find out what I don't already know or what I blinded myself to unconsciously, but I'm here and I'm open and I'm ready and willing to receive. Mm-hmm. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, I love it, Beth. You're amazing. And I feel like this has been such a long overdue conversation that I feel like I've always secretly wanted to have for the last however many years (laughs) I've known you and witnessed your journey. I know. This is amazing. I want to talk to you for the next like five hours straight, of course. (laughs) Well, we will do that and maybe have you again on the podcast as we move into 2021 and hopefully plant seeds for new beginnings and just, you know, continue the journey, but with like, you know, more grounded tools and and just more truth and people like you who are bridging these worlds and honestly creating new languages that um, people are really, I think, seeking and curious to find out about. So um, just to like round it out, I am so thankful to you for who you are, um, the work that you're doing, and just, yeah, for all you guys listening, you know, please follow along. Uh, we're going to include Beth's information website so you can follow her journey, stay connected, even reach out if you want to work with her or, you know, just continue to be curious about um, the spiritual activism that she's bringing into the world. And um, if you feel uplifted or shifted in any way, as I sure do, please subscribe, share, just, you know, help us amplify these stories far and wide. Um, And very grateful to you guys. And we will see you next week. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.